Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Today our topic is leadership and management skills, engaging and motivating self and others. Joining us is Stephen Friedman, a highly recognized executive and career coach, facilitator, and trainer. He has more than 20 years' experience of leadership, management, and team skills development, organizational learning, and human resource management. Stephen is also on the faculty at the Schulich School of Business at York, University, Toronto. Welcome, Stephen. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Welcome from Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Great great to have you. Well, Stephen, let's get right into it. Now, why all the interest in these soft skills? Now, can't professionals just use the skills they learned in management and leadership training? Well, you know, um, uh, what I've found is that uh, spending a lot of time in professional schools and working in one for a long period of time, most professions, uh, even if you're you're talking about accounting, engineering, law, medicine, any of those types of professions, while they certainly prepare you well for the sort of functional elements and technical elements of work, there's not a lot of professional programs that really put a big investment and time into the soft skills. And one of the things that we're finding is that um, more and more people are really requiring these. In fact, I hear so often from my uh, MBA students, uh, many of which are engineers, that until they started learning about things like organizational behavior and psychology and emotional intelligence and all the soft skills associated with success, until they started learning those, they really thought that these professional skills would carry them through, only to find out that sometimes they don't. So, you know, we all know lots of people who have professional skills who are maybe excellent at their at a, as a practitioner, but perhaps don't have the sort of bedside manner or the soft skills that associate with them being a professional. Everyone has had a boss who's brilliant but can't relate to others. And in our experience, those uh, supervisors and leaders don't really survive. And we're finding that expertise uh, matters a lot less than perhaps it did in the past. Interesting. You know, we hear a lot about engagement. Now, why should organizations care? Well, you know what? <clears throat> we in the management in all across many organizations have been sort of screaming for people to take more initiative. We've got mm-hmm. trends across North America of uh, flattening organizations decreasing levels of management within a hierarchy. And these things are requiring more and more employees to take auton- to, to be autonomous and to take initiative to get work done. In fact, on the other side as well, many employees are demanding it as well. And what we're finding is that you can't really get the kind of initiative that we're after, the kind of self-management that organizations are going to increasingly require without a level of engagement. And that engagement really is about um, meaning people finding meaning in their work. And we're finding that meaning and a bunch of other stuff are really driving performance in a way that we never thought they would before. We want employees to give a darn. You know, we want employees to care about the business. And sure. uh, we know that, number one, them caring about the business can move them along to success. And number two, um, organizations may, in fact, need that. I think it has goes a long way in terms of the bottom line, too, in terms of an organization. Absolutely. You said. Now, in the past, all that mattered for effective leadership was being the boss. Now, has this changed? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we're finding, and the research tells us as well, and I, certainly I notice it too um, among uh, my students, sort of my you know up and coming my MBA students, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe some of the listeners might see this among their employees. Um, expertise and hierarchy are mattering less and less to up and coming people. 
who are entering the workforce, and even those who are, you know, sort of entering at, at, at mid to senior levels. They are sort of saying, you know what, um, I don't buy the I'm listening to you because you're the boss. I'm not going to buy it. And they've got professionals today have more and more options, and they're exercising those options by saying, I'm not going to listen to you and do what you say and comply just because you're the boss. You've got to convince me that the thing I'm doing and the way I'm doing it is, in fact, the right thing to do. So, again, um, what we're finding is that the, the perception of someone as an expert, the boss, doesn't carry mm-hmm. as much weight anymore as it used to. Many people are saying, you know what, I know you've been in the job for 20 years, but maybe the fact that I've been in it for two years matters more than the fact that you've been in it for 20 years. Maybe I have things to offer that you don't, that your expertise can't provide. So uh, the, just being the boss won't, uh, uh, won't work anymore. If you want just compliance, people doing what they're told, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, three bags full, then, yep. then the hierarchy works perfectly fine. But if you want initiative, engagement, autonomy, it won't work. It won't work. Now, if as a leader I encourage autonomy and involvement, won't I lose control of the organization? What a great question. You know, um, I think that um, uh, it depends on a couple of things. Number one, what you qualify as control. Uh, that's one thing. Um, if, if, you know, if control means being in charge of everything, then I would have to ask any leader, what are you doing paying a premium for excellent employees if you are the one who needs to be in control all the time? <clears throat> Number two, if you only take control all the time, when are you going to learn? When are you going to grow? You know, we all, many of us uh, have the experience of learning from pockets of society and life that we never thought we'd learn from. Of course, one of the best examples is children. Many of us who are parents, we see that we learn from our children. We, and, and, you know, as you become more seasoned as a parent, you see this being more profound as you move along in your life. And one of the things that we're finding is it's very similar in organizations. Uh, we're finding that, you know, if you, um, uh, if you want control, what ends up happening is that, quite frankly, you'll get it. And what that means is you're not going to learn. And you're not going to get the initiative that you want of your employees. So what are the most important personal leadership qualities? Well, you know, there's been a lot of work uh, throughout the, certainly the past probably about 100 years or so uh, or more, um, beginning from sort of the origins of management science and, and the historical um, um, roots of uh, the human relations movement in organizational behavior and in academic circles and in organizations as well. Um, there's been a movement to try to understand this. And so we started off by believing there was a whole set of traits, like intelligence, for example, or expertise, or um, extroversion, perhaps, that are really resulting in success as leaders. And what we find increasingly is that that's not the case, because we see that, for example, some teams or groups of departments will resonate very, very, very well with someone who's more assertive as someone who's more outgoing and someone who's more extroverted. But then we find in some contexts there are, there are groups of people who don't, that doesn't resonate with. In fact, they might say, I don't want someone who's extroverted and who's an expert because we're experts. We want you to learn from us. We want you to be supportive of us, supportive of the fact that we are already experts and we've been doing this work for a long time. And you can imagine that if somebody wow. who is you know, assertive goes into one context, people will push back on it. In another context, they're going to really like it. So what are the two qualities to me? Number one is emotional intelligence. Number two is flexibility. Can you adapt yourself to the needs of the people around you? Very interesting. Now, if I show my employees that I can learn from them, won't I lose credibility? Um, well, I think a lot of people have this fear that if they sort of um, that by letting other people learning from others is going to sort of uh, erase their expertise. 
But you know what? I sort of look at strength as a leader and strength in a, in a broad sense as really being about, number one, doing the things that are hard for you to do. It makes a lot of sense, you know? Um, if you're someone who's very, very strong, is, uh, is somebody who can embrace the things that they're not comfortable with. So at, at, from that perspective, if you're not comfortable with learning, then real strength comes from being comfortable with learning. Number two is that um, increasingly I'm finding, certainly among newer employees, and, and, and again, I think all ages, this is just a trend I think in the workplace, that more and more people are sort of valuing what I call humility. More and more people are saying, you know what, I want to follow the guy or gal who's willing to learn from me. I want to follow the person who has flexibility in their thinking. I want to follow the person who has, who's humble. I want to follow the person who's open-minded. Um, and what we're finding is that sometimes humility may drive leadership effectiveness more than anything else, certainly more than expertise. That's fascinating. Now, how does passion for your work trigger motivation? Well, you know, uh, this is an interesting one because uh, motivation is a real uh, often misunderstood concept and very difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. And this is something that I spend a lot of time teaching in all of my work, that motivation is really about a very simple idea. It's about persistent effort directed towards a goal. And we really have to look at that uh, in and of itself and say, what are the things that really make somebody persist in, in trying to get something, some end goal, some end game, and if we look at our other facets of our lives outside of work as a, as, as a place to learn about this, we see that, you know, maybe it's not sort of reach for the sky, float around in the heavens, turn you on passion. Maybe it's not that, but maybe, it's, maybe that passion is really more about meaning. Maybe, what we're, maybe what's going on is um, we, we, we are learning more and more about the fact that if people don't see any meaning in their work, um, they're not going to be motivated to do that work. Um, certainly at the professional levels that uh, a lot of our listeners are at. Um, people don't want to just punch the clock and do the work and go home. They want, to have, they want to be able to see their work as a place where they can meet great people, where they can learn exciting things, where they can ex- get exposure to stuff they would never get exposure to. And for many, many people, they want to be able to touch something that has some meaning. And that meaning can be saving the world, it could be saving someone's life. It could be touching someone at a pivotal moment in their lives, like happens in a lot of fields, like law and medicine. When you're touching somebody, as a, when you're touching a client's world as a lawyer, you're touching them at a pivotal point in their lives, whether it's buying a home, dealing with a, a, a difficult situation in the family, or, or, or something else. You know, and, and I think that to really get people to jump into a career, we have to really tie it to something that's meaningful. And it could be, you know, for some of my students, for example, that meaning comes from, hey, I like the product or service that we're selling. I can relate to it. You know, some people will say, you know, I I don't really give a darn about insurance, so I can't really work as a lawyer in an insurance company. And more and more people are saying, you know what, I need to find some meaning in the product or service that my organization provides. Makes sense. Now, what do you say when people talk about the culture of entitlement among younger professionals today? Yeah, because I've talked a lot about these younger people entering the workforce and what they're demanding. So, a lot of, you know, we we do get a lot of this sort of, oh, they're entitled and they think they're going to get, there's a few things to say about that. The first one is, really, quite frankly, you don't want to be the person who sits around and talks about how kids today are entitled. Because pretty soon you start to sound like an old hack, right? You're sitting there and grumbling about the world. I don't think anybody wants to be that. Secondly, there is not a single generation in our culture that hasn't looked at the younger generation 
going all the way back to the 1940s and said, young kids today don't get blah, 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 all the way to, you know, everyone knows the story. I walked eight blocks to work to school every day with no shoes, uphill both ways. And we eventually become that. And lastly, the third reason, the third third sort of component of this culture of entitlement is that even even if we're right, they are entitled. Even if that's wrong of them to be that way. Sort of tough beans. That's who you got. That's who's coming to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole different generation. So what's the best way for leaders to enhance their learning? I would say, um, uh, you know, it's it's an old idea. Uh, Management by walking around. Talk to your employees. Understand what works means to them. You know, people, when I teach the idea of meaning as an important motivator, um, many of my uh, uh, students and clients ask me, well, how do I apply that? And what, you know, what can I do? How can I find out what's meaningful for people? And I think we sometimes think it's this elaborate program, some big training program or some big intervention. Maybe it's just talking to people. Maybe it's just taking the time to get to know the sort of idiosyncratic components of someone's life, what sort of history they've had in their employment, what sort of uh, uh, zeal they put into previous work and jobs, and understanding a little bit more about what really matters to them. And I think increasingly a lot about what work means to them. What does work mean to those employees? Because if you find out, for example, that work means punching a clock and just paying the bills, then that sets up a different set of expectations for your uh, effectiveness in leading that employee. If, on the other hand, what means something to them is touching the lives of others, getting a chance to uh, connect with communities, for example, then that tells you a little bit something different about the kind of work that will motivate them. And with flatter and especially smaller organizations, we can do a lot to tweak someone's job based upon the kinds of things that we learn about them. Mm-hmm. Now, if as a leader I don't find any meaning in my work other than a good living for me and my family, what should I do? Well, geez, I would love to say that everyone can fly up to the heavens and find the job that's the most passionate for them and that sort of adage of, you know, if you find work that you love and passionate about, it doesn't feel like a job. I don't always buy that. I don't think it's so reasonable and, and realistic. Um, but I would say this, um, I, you know, we don't, it's not that we're, we're going to find the ultimate passion because I don't think that really exists. I mean, maybe professional athlete or rock star. That's about it. Um, other than that, we're always going to have work we do for our heads and hearts, and we're going to have components of our work that's for feeding us, for the tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that if, if you're not finding meaning in your work other than just a living, you've got to you make a choice, and I'm big on choices. And that choice can really be one of two things. Either A, I choose to live with the fact that I'm only getting a stable living for me and my family out of the job. There's nothing wrong with that. It only becomes a problem if you're sort of secretly pining and wishing it was something different. So a lot of people you can choose to say, you know what, this is what work means for me. And I think that that's fine as long as you're truly willing to have work mean that for you. Um, So it's really about a choice. The other choice is I'm going to do something else. I'm going to get out and I'm going to do something else in my life. I'm going to find another way to leverage my skills, experience, and education and do something that is of meaning. So I think the real answer to that question is people have to make choices. And I think that that unfortunately we sometimes believe we don't have a choice. But as I like to tell my students, most of the people that are listening to this are in like the top 2% educated and prepared for work on the planet. So, you know, we really do have to have more courage in making choices that will lead to us having at least slightly more meaningful work and careers. Excellent. 
And that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks to our guest, Stephen Friedman, for your expertise on a new leadership model. Stephen will be a featured speaker this fall at ALA's Human Resources Conference for Legal Professionals in Las Vegas, November 3rd to the 5th. Visit the ALA website, alanet.org, for more info. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you.